All right, if you want to get out your notes, your Bibles, whatever, we're going to feed a little bit on the Word of God this morning. I think I got a good meal for you. I <clears throat> picked out some good stuff. You might, even if you're following along the notes, you might want to turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll, I'll be going back and talking about some things we've already seen. And if you want to check me out, make sure I'm not lying to you, that's a good place to do it. Uh, make sure I'm not just making stuff up, right? All right. Uh, I, I really feel like God's up to something this morning. I think we'll, we'll get some time back in worship, and, uh, and I think He's going to hang around. So, uh, but I feel like this is both simple and important uh, on a deeper level to understand. So, as you recall, we've been talking about the mystery of the gospel, as we called it, or as God called it, as Paul called it in his letters. Uh, the mystery of the gospel, we read in Romans, that this has been kept secret since the world began, but has now been made manifest through Christ, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, through Him opening the Scriptures to us. And so, uh, we pointed out that there were seven things that Paul referred to as mysteries, uh, and so we're going to look at those one at a time. And the one this morning we're going to look to, and Jerry looked at one last week. I may revisit that one at the end, but we'll save that for the end. Uh, he did a great job. Um, we're going to look at the mystery of God becoming flesh, which Paul calls a mystery. Now, a couple things real quick. We're just going to get these out of the way because my first glance at this was like, well, that's simple. God had to become a man. Everybody knows that. Uh, what do you have to say about that, God? And it turns out he had a lot more than I thought. So, but the, the basic things you want to know before we go into this is this. First of all, uh, Jesus coming in the flesh is what we call an essential doctrine. There are doctrines in the Bible that you can feel free to disagree on and argue about and still be a believer. This is not one of them. This is an essential doctrine. In 1 John 4, John says, whoever does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, that's the Antichrist. So I'm thinking, now, if there's anybody here that, you know, is like, you dig the Antichrist, it's okay, we're not scared, you should come to church, but, but that's, you're in trouble. Uh, this is, you can't be saved and not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, you understand? It is an essential doctrine. John makes that clear. But what's interesting is that Paul calls this a mystery, which seems straightforward to us. Uh, and you read stuff like Psalm 2, and it seems really clear that Jesus is talking about, or that the Father in Psalm 2 is talking about Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, today, uh, I have declared you're my son. I will give you the nations as inheritance. But I don't think they understood, or even the apostles at first understood that Jesus was literally God coming down to earth. That's what they meant by son. They understood it by the time they got to writing letters. Uh, Paul did. And so that's what we mean by the mystery of the gospel hidden, now revealed. In fact, it says expressly in 1 Corinthians 2 that if the world had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they really got what was going on, they wouldn't have fallen for that trap, but they did, and so we're saved. Now, the other, second thing you need to understand is that Jesus had to make propitiation for sin in the flesh. 
It, did, it didn't do any good for God to die in our place. God had to become a man and die in our place. Hebrews uh, even uses that word. Uh, says it very clearly. He had to become like us so that he could be propitiation for us. In Romans and 1 Corinthians, it talks about how through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. So likewise, through one man, Jesus, life from the dead. And so this had to happen. He had to become a man to die for our sins. He had to come in the flesh. It's an essential doctrine. That being said, there are some other interesting things here, and I'm excited about this, uh, just that if we can get this. There are things here, if we can, uh, there are just levels upon levels upon levels we can get this on. I want to get it on a deeper level, and I want you guys to also, all right? So Lord, help us to get this today on a deeper level. Now, we read about this mystery of God becoming flesh in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and here's the passage. Paul says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, I'm going to get back to that, so just, I made that bold, remember that term, the mystery of godliness. I'm going to explain that in a couple minutes, but we have to build some foundation first. So, great is the mystery of godliness, and then he goes on to express what that mystery is. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so this is the mystery of Godness, that God was manifested in the flesh, God became man, that he was justified in the spirit, that he was seen, heard, believed on, and then returned to glory, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? So very simply, God became man means that God was fully man. Jesus was fully man. Now, we know this. We know that he had to be a man to die for us, but it's more than this. Because being fully man, he modeled humanity. Now, I want you to imagine you're living in like 50 BC, and you're looking for, hey, I'm a human. I want to know uh, God's intention for how I should live my life. Who should I model my life after? And you may not have a lot of choices, right? We haven't had a Moses in a long time. We haven't had an Elijah in a long time. And along comes Jesus, and not just is he fully man, he's modeling God's design for man. God, the designer of man, came and lived as a man to show us what we were designed to be like. You understand? And so he's modeling humanity, and he turns out to be the best human being ever. You get that? As a man, he's the best human being ever. He's so good that even false religions feel like they have to include him. Uh, you know, uh, Islam, for example, uh, their motto is, God is one, he has no son. They're not going to buy that Jesus is the son of God. But they have to include him somehow. They're like, but this was an awesome human. We have to work him in. Let's make him a prophet or a teacher or something. And all the other religions, except for uh, the, the Jewish religion, they just aren't going to talk about him at this point, <clears throat> and just ignore Isaiah 53 for now. Uh, but all the other false religions will include Jesus somehow, because he's just too awesome a human. He was that awesome a human. And like, we got to work him in. We don't believe in Christianity, but we're going to work this guy in, right? What would it be like if his church were awesome like him like that, modeling humanity in this way. They'd have to go, I, I don't like it, but we're going to have to include these people. 
because they're awesome, right? So just simply, he modeled humanity. He modeled correctly humanity, what we're supposed to look like as humans. And of course, he was fully God, fully man, fully God. So he modeled God. Colossians 1 tells us he was the exact image or likeness of God. We looked at him, we see what God is like. In fact, this is, and I'm going to pull 1 Corinthians 14 in, and we're going to kind of go parallel and look at this also as we look at this passage. Uh, Jesus makes this point really clear in being fully God, that he's not just uh, God so that he can be a human and die for us, but he's God so he can model God, so that you and I can find out exactly what God is like. Didn't they know? Didn't they have all the writings? Well, no, not really. And we'll see this. So in John 14, verses 7 through 9, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and specifically to Philip, and he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Now let's think about this. The disciples were trotting around with Jesus for three years at this point. They knew him. They knew him like you know people you hang out with. They knew Jesus. No one else had had this opportunity in history to just hang out with God for three years and, you know, have lunch and see what he does, right? So they knew him, and, but yet they didn't fully uh, get it uh, because he's addressing that they don't quite know him like they need to yet. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So he's saying, look, you got to understand this, Philip. If you get to know me, I am exactly like the Father. I am modeling God. If you get to know me, you're getting to know God. If you see me, you're seeing God, right? So, in fact, Philip says that. Philip cleverly responds, that'd be awesome. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So you understand what he's saying? I underline known me in there. We're going to be talking about knowing him a lot this morning. He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you get to know me, Jesus says, you're getting to know God, the creator of the universe, the Father. That's awesome. Now, don't let that just wash over you. Think about that, that you can get to know God, God who holds the universe in his hands, right? Who, if he wanted to hide from you, you couldn't find him. You can get to know him because he wants you to get to know him. Now, not only is he modeling humanity and modeling God, it says that he was justified in the spirit. And justified just means declared righteous. So it means that the spirit came along and said, yeah, that dude's righteous. Got it? How did the Spirit do that? It's in the very next passage. He says in verses 7 through 9, if you've known me and seen me, you've known the Father and you've seen the Father. And then he goes on, the very next two verses, <clears throat> do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak to you on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
What was the point of the works? Okay. Proof. It was the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Let me put it another way. Jesus is modeling God's righteousness. Jesus is modeling God's righteousness. Now, he's, he's saying, I'm God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and goes, yes, that's God. That's God's righteousness. I'm going to testify that that's God's righteousness by doing things only God can do, like healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. You understand. So the Holy Spirit justifies him by the works of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, he is displaying the righteousness of God. I'm going to put my testimony on that by doing signs and wonders. You understand? That's what's going on. So he's justified by the Spirit. The works were his justification uh, in the Spirit. He's telling them, if you can't believe that I'm the Father, believe me because of the works. Believe me because the Holy Spirit says so. Amen? So you get it. Now, so he's modeling humanity. He's modeling God. He's modeling God's righteousness. If you're looking at the way I handle things, Jesus is saying, you're seeing God's righteousness modeled before you, right? Think about that, the way he handled the woman caught in adultery, the way he handles uh, sinners, the way he handles the proud. You're seeing God's way of handling those things, right? And so he goes on uh, in, in John 1, is a parallel passage about uh, the Word becoming flesh. So we'll look at that and we'll see one more thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Jesus is the Word, the Word is God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man and walked around with us. We get that, right? But listen to what else he says. John says, and we beheld his glory. We saw him, we heard him. We saw his glory, and it was impressive glory. He said, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. It wasn't just he was impressive. This was like God impressive. This was like only someone who is the Son of God could be this glorious. This was God-type glory. We saw this. We walked around him. He came. He became a man. He dwelt with us. And we saw Son of God-like glory full of grace and truth. Now, what John's kind of letting out here is this was way more than we expected. We didn't know that God uh, was like this. We're seeing things we haven't seen in the Scriptures. We're seeing God's glory. Now, here's where we make the turn, and it all, I think, begins to come together. In Exodus 33 and 34, Moses says, hey, God, this is after God says, uh, they're going to the promised land, and God says, I'm going to have to kill them all. I'm not going right? And Moses says, if you ain't going, I ain't going. Uh, if your presence doesn't know with me, I don't want to go. And God says, all right, I'll go. Just for you, Moses. And Moses, feeling bold, says, hey, show me your glory. And what does God say? He says, I will. I will pass before you, and I will declare my goodness. 
And then he passes before him in chapter 34 and declares his goodness and his mercy and his patience and his loving kindness. What is God's glory? It's his goodness. Keep that in mind. So they're basically saying, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. We had no idea God was this good. We, I mean, we've read it and we've been singing for over a thousand years, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. But, but we didn't know he was this good. He's like really good. This is amazing good. This is gloriously good. And so God not only modeled humanity, or Jesus not only modeled humanity, modeled God, modeled God's righteousness, he modeled God's goodness. He modeled all four of those things as a man. A man walking the earth, displaying perfect humanity, the exact image of God, His goodness and His righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Now, <clears throat> let's get back to 1 Timothy 3.16, the very beginning it says, great is the mystery of godliness. Let's get back to talking about the mystery of godliness. Now, godliness just means piety. It just means the imitation of God. Imitating God. How many of you have read somewhere in the Bible that we're supposed to imitate Jesus? Right. It's a very common New Testament concept. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul tells us as little children to imitate God. In 1 Corinthians 11, pardon me, Paul tells us to imitate Him as He imitates Christ. So the concept of the imitation of God, of godliness, is very common. There are literally dozens of verses that point to this in the New Testament. Interestingly, it's pretty rare in the Old Testament. There, the word godliness doesn't appear there. The word godly appears, I think, three times in Psalms and once in Malachi. That's it. The concept of imitating God doesn't appear. The concept of following God's rules does concept of imitating God doesn't appear. Here's what I want you to get. No one was walking around with the WWYD bracelet, what would Yahweh do? <laughs> right? They didn't have that. They didn't have that concept. So one guy in the crowd goes, what would Yahweh do? And they I don't know. Call down fire from heaven? Split some water? Make, you know, manna? Frogs? I that's what we got Moses for. We got one guy that knows what God will do. We got to ask him. Right? You understand that vast difference between that and us. Okay? They didn't have this. So they don't have the ability to know what God would do on that level because it's impossible without the incarnation. It hasn't been modeled by a human to them. You understand what I'm getting at? Until Jesus came, no human being had ever modeled God's glory, God's righteousness, what God is really like, God's goodness. Now, he talked about it. They had words about it. They had uh, guys like Moses and Isaiah who had uh, been intimate with God and could tell them some things, but they had never had a man model this. And so they didn't really know. So, the mystery of godliness 
is that we can now imitate God. We couldn't do that before. Because of Jesus, we can imitate God. We're going to get back to what this means in a minute, but I want to look at a verse here. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 2, because we looked at it earlier. If you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. I'm just going to read out of 1 Corinthians 2.16, where he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now, be aware, Paul at this point is quoting Isaiah chapter 40. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, understand something. Make sure we get this. In context, this passage is talking about the mystery of of God, hidden before all the ages, now revealed. It says that explicitly in verse 7. If you're not sure, you can look at verse 7. He says, this is a mystery hidden from the creation of the world, now revealed, right? And then in verses uh, 9 and 10, Paul says this. He quotes Isaiah again. He quotes Isaiah, and he says, I has not seen, nor has there heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Isaiah said that. He, then in verse 10, he goes, but they've been revealed to us. Isaiah didn't know him, but we know him. You get me? And then in verse 16, he goes back to this same thing. He quotes Isaiah again, who says, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? Isaiah couldn't know the mind of the Lord even though Isaiah wrote some amazing things about the mind of the Lord. Look at the but. But we have the mind of Christ. Do you get that? Do you get what's going on? Because God became a man, now we can have the mind of Christ. Isn't this amazing? Those amazing things that God prepared for those who love him, we can now know them. We can now know Christ's mind we can think like him because now we can know him. That's why I was underlining, have you not known me? Have you not known me? All the know me. Get this, guys. This is such a simple statement, but it's so deep. We can think like God because Jesus made a way through the incarnation for us to know God. We can know him. He wants to be known by us. We can know God as this sunk into us. All right, one person's happy. I like it. <laughs> now, because we can know him, we can think like him. Let's keep going. Because we can know God, we get an upgraded covenant. That's why it's called a new covenant, and we're told the new covenant is better than the old covenant, right? Partly because we don't have to, you know, sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus became the once and all sacrifice for our sin. That's an awesome reason for it to be better. But also because of this, because we can know him. Look at where it talks about this upgraded covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. You ready? Verses 33 and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Now, where is their law, his law right now for Jeremiah? It's in, a, it's in a book that Moses wrote, right? Or on a tablet or in several books. They'd copied it a few times by now. So they have the written law of God that they're trying to follow. God says, in this new covenant, I'm going to write it on minds and hearts. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. He's talking about the upgraded covenant. We can know God now. Isaiah couldn't know God like this. Jeremiah couldn't know God like this. We can know God's mind like this because Jesus modeled it. Are you getting this? For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Uh, You mean you'll forgive our iniquity if we go to the priest and confess our sin, right? No, no. I will forgive their sin because they will know me. We don't have to offer an animal? No, no. You're going to have direct access. You're going to be able to approach God directly in this new covenant, in this new better covenant. You're going to be able to know him. You're going to be able to have your sins forgiven. You're going to be able to, because you can go to him, have your sins forgiven, have intimacy with the God of the universe. This is a significantly upgraded covenant. Are you with me? Isn't this wild? So, by knowing him, we said because we know him, we can think like him. But this also means that because we know him, we can model his righteousness. Now, what did it say was going to change in this covenant? It's not going to be rules anymore. It's going to be minds and hearts. I will write my law on their mind and on their hearts. I'm going to let them know me so that they can know my mind and my heart. It's not just going to be, here's a book of rules, in case you were thinking that that's what Christianity is. Are there right things and wrong things? Absolutely. Are there things we need to do to obey God that are written down? Absolutely. But it's really not about a book of rules. It's about knowing Him and having His law in your mind and your heart. Learning to think like Him and have a heart like Him, which incidentally is way harder than just following the rules. That's what was going on in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when Jesus said, you know, you've heard, don't murder, you're like, right, got it, rule, don't murder, check. But if you hate your brother, in your heart, murder. Dang it. <laughs> I've actually done that. I'm a murderer. Right? You understand what's going on. He says, no, 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 we're not doing the rules now. We're doing heart. You get, it's not enough to just follow the rules grudgingly. You have to, you can know me now. I want you to get my heart. Or, you know, the other one we always get, uh, it's, you know, it is written, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you just do it in your heart, with your eyes, you think about it, adultery, dang it, I can't just not do it, I have to actually not do it in my heart, it's a lot harder, you understand, he took everything, all the rules, and he made them about the way we think, and what's in our heart, and it made it way harder, and God's going, yeah, you can't do this unless you follow the model that Jesus set. Unless you learn to think like me and to have my heart. You understand what's going on. So this is significantly harder. What's going on here is God's saying, look, in the Old Testament, uh, you you were just kids. Uh, So I just gave you rules to follow. But Galatians talked about this. Now that you've come to faith, 
I don't want you just following rules. I want you to get to know me, and I want to trust you. God wants to trust you to represent the intentions of his mind and heart. I want you to get to know me and then go represent my heart and my intentions. Now, are there scriptures to guide us? Absolutely. Don't leave those behind and just wing it and think you know God that well. That's how we get to know him. We covered that in the first two teachings. Remember? But what he's after is a people who will get to know him and represent his intentions in the earth. Now, why is this important? Well, let's go back to that passage we were looking at in John. We looked at John 7 through John 14, verses 7 through 11, right? Let's look at verse 12, the very next verse. So he said in the first passage, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've known me, you've known the Father. In the second passage, he said the Spirit, the works of the Spirit are the witness that I'm displaying the righteousness of God. And then in verse 12, he says, and greater works than these you will do because I go to the Father, right? Now, if we keep reading that passage, we learn that the whole because I go to the Father, what that's about is because I go to the Father, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about more next week when we talk about the second mystery, uh, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But I won't do that today, do that next week. Come back for more because that's good too. The point is, he's saying you'll do greater works, right? The greater works follow imitating his righteousness in this new covenant, the mind and heart righteousness. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's not saying if you have the right doctrine and know the right verses and pray the right prayers, the sick will be healed, the dead will be raised. He's saying that if you get to know me, if you begin to represent my heart and my mind, the Holy Spirit will go, oh, that's the righteousness of God. I'm going to testify of that with signs and wonders. I'm going to endorse that. He'll do that with you, with us, in the same way he did it with Jesus. But again, is faith important? Absolutely. Is the word important? Absolutely. Do we, are we going to pray those verses? Absolutely. But it's not following the rules. It's getting so deep into him. It's knowing Jesus so that we begin to express his heart and his intentions. And the Holy Spirit goes, now that's the righteousness of God. That's the heart and mind righteousness of God. Not just the I checked off the rules righteousness of God. I'm going to get involved in that. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you want to see more signs and wonders? Yeah, me too. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we know the Bible promises these things. And I'm convinced that the key is us going deep enough in him that we begin to express his heart and his mind. We begin to understand his goodness. Remember, uh, back John said, uh, he became a man. We beheld his glory. We beheld his goodness, and it blew our minds. I'm convinced that none of us have really grasped how good God is. As I, I constantly see myself acting like I don't really get it, <laughs> right? Mostly towards others. You understand what I'm saying? So, because we know him, we can model his righteousness. And by that I mean his mind and his heart. Now, the other thing that got upgraded, and this is fun, 
is love. You notice love got upgraded? John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. What was the old commandment? Love one another as yourself. So God said, uh, Tony, love Tim like you love Tony. I go, awesome. I, can, I think I can do that. And then Jesus comes along and models a whole new level of goodness. And blow your mind kind of goodness. And then he goes, Tony, love Tim like I just loved you. I'm like, well, dang. <laughs> That's harder. Have you met Tim? <laughs> I picked Tim because he's easy to love, right? Right, Anna? Yeah. Some of you might be harder. I don't know. I'm not commenting. You get my point. Upgraded love. Here's the thing. We can model that if, if we get to know him. He came to model the goodness of God, the glory of God. If we know him, we can model his glory, his goodness. I want you to consider something. Consider Stephen in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Remember Stephen? Or 6 and 7, I think. 7's uh, when he gets stoned. Um, Stephen has been a faithful uh, Christian, and uh, they corner him, and they ask him, and, and he preaches the gospel, and then he tells them, essentially, uh, you guys are going to hell. Uh, and They don't like that, and so they pick up rocks, and they're going to kill him. Now, what does Stephen do? You all remember, Stephen's the first martyr in the Bible, and he says, God, don't hold this against them. Where did he get that idea? Oh, what did, you're, by golly, you're right. He probably remembers Jesus on the cross <laughs> going, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Right? So he's beheld the glory of Jesus, and he's, and he's being stoned, and he's going, well, what do I do in this situation? And he's thinking through all the scripture he has in the Old Testament, and he's going, None of that seems to apply here. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. And there's, you did have a vision. You saw Jesus stood up. Just, now think about that, by the way. Jesus seated on the throne of heaven. The heavens open, and Jesus stands up for Stephen. That's some honor. And he sees Jesus. And, oh, yeah. I just forgive. That's what Jesus did. And he had grace to do it. He forgave. And here's my point. How many stories like that do you see in the Old Testament of people radically forgiving their persecutors or their enemies or people that tried to kill them? Can you, do, do they just come to mind? Not a one. <laughs> I can't think of any. David tried a little. He also killed a lot of his enemies. <laughs> right? Now, how many of those stories can you think of since Stephen, between Stephen and now? Anybody read Fox's Book of Martyrs? There's a book that thick full of them. How many of you, even if we take martyrdom off the table, how many of you personally know someone who's had something very evil done to them and chose to forgive and love that person? Yeah. How many of you have done that? Yeah. How can we do that? Because we have the example of Jesus. And we go, oh, we can do this. Jesus will give us grace to do this. You see what a big deal it is that Jesus came in the flesh and modeled godliness 
so that we could understand the mystery of godliness, so that we could imitate him, so that we could be like him. Guys, this is the mind-blowing thing. He wants to know us. We can know him, but because we can know him, we can be like him. We can actually do things like this. We can actually forgive evil people. We can love people who hate us. We can be kind to people who are mean to us. Isn't that amazing that we can do that? But it doesn't just happen. You don't just get saved and switch flips and now you're nicer than you used to be. It's a choice. It's what I call the Romans 12.2 choice. Anybody know Romans 12.2? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So those are our choices. In any given situation, am I going to do it the way the world does it, or am I going to be changed by the renewing of my mind? Now, changed by the renewing of my mind means the mind of Jesus, doesn't it? It means God's righteousness. Am I going to do the world's righteousness or God's righteousness? And I have that choice all the time, don't I? And I love, it goes on to say, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, so that you may be a model of His righteousness. And you do that well enough, the Holy Spirit will start endorsing it and doing things with you, right? So the truth is, whichever one we choose, we'll model that. If I choose in some situation to be conformed to the world, then I'll model the world. And the sad part of that is I won't look any different than the world. And I won't stand out a bit. But if I choose to model the mind of Christ, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renew of my mind, go, I'm going to think like Jesus. I'm going to do it Jesus' way. I begin to prove uh, his righteousness is superior. His ways are better. His ways are higher. And people go, I don't understand. Now I stand out. Everyone else hates me, but you're being nice to me. Uh, everyone else I punched, punched me back. But you said you forgave me. What's different about you? And we begin to be like Jesus. Isn't it mind-blowing that we can do that? Isn't it just amazing that we can model the righteousness and the glory of God? The goodness of God? We've been given the opportunity to model that in the earth. Isn't that wild? Who wants to do that? Yeah. So we're going to need to get to know Jesus better, aren't we? All right, let's have the band come up. Uh, we're going to go back into worship. I don't know what God wants to do. I just feel like he wants to do something. And uh, any something from God is better than any, anything I got. Right? But I think as we worship, uh, we need to let that, uh, let that go deeper in us or let that maybe call us deeper into Him, this concept. We can know Him. Church, you can know God. You can get to know God. You don't have to be constrained by the rules and by the doctrines and trying to cross your T's and dot your I's, you can use those to get to his heart and his mind and learn what he's like and represent 
his heart and his intentions in the earth. That's what the world's waiting to see. A church that begins to represent God's heart. We saw the glory of Jesus in the church. We never knew the church was that good to each other. Oh, what if that was the testimony of the church? We didn't understand that they were this good. Mm. Ah, this worship, this worship.